first message. Mr. Reginald with a whole lot of shaking going on. doing here at this time uh, last year and again earlier this year we experienced several earthquakes here in Oklahoma it was my first experience with this natural phenomenon and while I did not feel the first quake I certainly felt the second one and I felt the ground and the, the walls of my house shake rattle and roll for what seemed like at least 45 seconds or so my clock on the wall has never worked right since. <laughs> I still can't get it. It's a very sensitive old grandmother clock. It still hasn't worked right since then. I was not particularly frightened by the experience, but I tell you this, it was certainly unsettling. And I immediately thought of uh, Christ's Olivet prophecies about earthquakes in diverse places. Okay, here they are. There are three different occurrences, only mentioned one time in, each, in the Olivet Prophets in each one of them. And it says, Matthew 24, 7 says, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Luke 21, 11, the parallel scripture says, And great earthquakes shall be in different places, and famines and plagues, and there shall be terrors and great signs from heaven. Mark 13, 8 says, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. But these are yet the beginning of sorrows. That word beginning of sorrows is often translated as the birth pangs of a, a new time, a new age. Please note that word diverse. Please note the word diverse up here. Modern language simply translates it as different, but there's an, an implied sense of unexpected, sudden that happens. It does not necessarily imply an increase in either frequency or intensity of the earthquake, although it does not preclude such an increase in either of those qualities. Rather, it implies that the occurrence of the earthquakes shall be widespread, unpredictable, like in the middle of Oklahoma, for example. Okay? We are not surprised when earthquakes occur along fault lines or at boundaries of tectonic plates or in seismically active regions like you know, Yellowstone National Park or something of this nature. Or, but here in the middle of the Great Plains, that's an odd place for an earthquake to occur, wouldn't you think? Um, what could be more unexpected than an earthquake in the middle of the Great Plains? Far away from any major plate boundary. Far away from any active fault zone except maybe the New Madrid faults in northeastern Missouri. Okay. Right, here's where the earthquake occurred. This was right in the heart of, of uh, Oklahoma, just, just east of uh, Shawnee, if I remember correctly. Just east of Oklahoma City. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's just better senses. Maybe it's just better sensors and better reporting. But there does seem to me at least to be an increase in the frequency. Because we have more people in these places, there's certainly an increase in the number of deaths that happen. But according to all the research that I've read, the, the, the occurrence of earthquakes isn't really all that more, much more so than it is in the past. I don't believe that, but that's what, what I'm seeing says. All right, now these are the different kinds of things. This is the actual, 
I'm missing. Okay, no, I just can't read it from there. This is the actual earthquake statistics. This was the one that was occurred. This is the one that woke me up, by the way. It was November's, actually it wasn't, didn't wake me up, but 3.10, 3.53 in the afternoon. I guess it was just after Sabbath services. November 6th, um, magnitude 5.6 at a depth of 3.15 miles. There's a bearing. The epicenter, as I said, was just outside Shawnee. Here's uh, in Oklahoma City. Great, it was felt all the way through Kansas, Tennessee, all, all sorts of areas around. Okay, here's what it looks like from uh, the, uh, satellite surveys. There's a location, there's Oklahoma City, and there, as I said, is Shawnee, just a little bit north of that one. Uh, 35.57 degrees north, 97.06 degrees west, depth of 4.9 kilometers. That's still quite shaking. The distances, as I said, north-northwest of Shawnee and east-northeast of Oklahoma City. Was anyone else as shaken by this as I was? Yeah. Okay. Let's see if this will come up. Maybe. It's supposed to be a real-time link to the um, U.S. Geological Survey. They actually have a map um, uh, that is an alive and active uh, um, occurrence of the earthquakes wherever they occur in the world. And you can log on to that and see just how frequently the earthquakes occur, how often they occur. Now, today what I'd like to do is to explain exactly what earthquakes are, where and how they're usually produced, how uh, several of the major earthquakes in history correlate to biblical events and making them tools in the hands of God. I wish to speculate about the nature of the great earthquake that's predicted in the book of uh, Revelation, particularly the one that occurred when the seventh angel pours out his vial. So I guess we're not going to see that one. That's all right. Some background information. Uh, plate tectonics and fault lines. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with this theory of the plate tectonics or not, but here's what it, it's hard to believe that based, upon our, based only on our senses and things, but the earth seems to be just a big old ball of molten rock floating around in space. And only the very outer crust of it is actually solid. The most, of, most of it is, is molten rock. And we're just caught in the sun's gravity well, and it, it's, it's got us kept in a fixed orbit. Only a thin layer has been cooled enough to support the oceans and the life. According to the theory of plate tectonics, um, which was proposed by Alfred Wagoner in 1915, all of Earth's land masses were brought together at some time in the distant past to form a giant supercontinent called Pangaea. Have you ever heard of Pangaea? Okay, this is a great supercontinent. What you have on the back screen here is a picture of Earth and showing you Pangaea in the original state and how the continents are shifting and stretching and floating apart, just floating apart on this great big old ball of molten rock. Would you believe it? Okay, and you've, I've always wondered why South America seemed to fit so nicely into Africa. Well, plate tectonics explains that, among other things. Okay. Um, evidence of the theory in support of the theory lies in the magnetic field of the rock around the world because as the rock bubbles up from the magma, it, it, it spreads the plates apart and as it spreads them apart, they acquire the magnetic field that's on the earth at that particular time. 
on the interesting thing is that the magnetic field and those rocks are not the same. So either the field of the earth changed or the rocks moved. Now, since the fields are pretty stable, except for once in a great while we'll have a pole reversal, but the fields are pretty stable. So that means that there's more likely that the rocks were moving. Okay, so they get twisted and turned in many different directions, suggesting either that the rocks were in a different position when they were formed, or the magnetic poles are unstable. But since the poles are fixed, except for, as I said, those field reversals, then the rocks must be moving. Here's the problem. While the rocks may be moving, there's only a finite amount of surface area on the surface of the Earth. So if the rock moves in one place and pushes the plates further apart, then somewhere else, that plate or another plate must go underneath another. That's called subduction, is the term for it. Okay? Let's see. Here's what subduction looks like. All right, we've got the continental shelf. Here's the, here's the continental crust here. This is the lithosphere. Litho means simply rock. So this is the rock that is below it. And what happens is the oceanatic crust here. Out along the, out on the outer edges of the uh, boundary for the continental shelf, you will see this deep trench. There's one out uh, on western Calif uh, west of California and Oregon, Washington area. There's one off in Japan. And what happens is that as one uh, crust moves out further, like to the west, this one subducts, it goes under, undergoes subduction and slides underneath it. Here's what happens. As one rock slides underneath the other, it produces friction and pushes as they push against one another. That, what does it, the friction that is not part of the um, heat that's built up as heat and melts the rock just builds up as tension. And eventually, you know, tension's got to be released. And when it's released, it's like a, a, a rubber eraser snapping back into place. And as it snaps back, guess what happens? An earthquake. So when, when the plates snap back, that's when the earthquakes occur. Okay. I got, I'll lose my place here when I get... Um, now, there are other kinds of earthquakes as well. This is the most common one that we see, but there's another kind that happens when plates just slide past one another. That's called a transform fault or a transverse fault, such as the San Andreas, for example, or such as the faults that we see in much of the Middle East. They look like this. Here again is the, um, oops, wrong one. Here is the um, subduction fault that we had here. These are the transverse faults of different form. This one is called a reverse fault where the back portion rises. This one, it drops down. This one is a slip strike fault where they just slide past one another. In all three cases though, as it, as it slides past, again, that tension builds up. And when that tension is released, it snaps back and that's what creates the earthquake. Now, certain areas are more prone to it than others, as we shall see. Where were the uh, these are some of the effects. Take a look at some of the effects that we have. This one is a picture of the San Andreas Fault out in California. This is what happened in Canterbury. Look at the rail lines. How would you like to be driving on that train track? I think this was in Asia. I don't have the location on this one. This is an Alpine Fault line. This one is in Christchurch over in uh, South uh, Australia. 
This is Mexicali, huh? New Zealand. New Zealand. Okay, Christchurch, New Zealand. Okay, and th there's another New Zealand fault. That's why I thought there would be. Or there's another New Zealand fault here. This is the one in Jap Japan that split right down the middle of the highway. Who would have thought? Right down the middle of the highway. This one is in Mexicali, just off, uh, just south of uh, California border. Okay. So that gives you an idea of what kind of devastating effects those earthquakes can have, right? Okay, here's the fault lines. So let's take a look at some of these fault zones. Uh, the ones that happen here, where the fault lines meet, those are rational. We can understand what's happening here. The fault lines meet, the uh, plates slide one underneath the other. That causes the, the earthquakes. Notice that all of these fault lines, this is called the ring of fire. There are more active volcanoes and quakes that occur along the Pacific Rim like this than anywhere else in the world. This is that mid-Atlantic mid ridge I was telling you about where the, where the magma bubbles up from below and pushes the plates apart. Uh, let's see, this is the Indo-European, Indo-Australian plate here. This is the Philippine plate. They're all meeting right in this area. You know what happened right there? This is Sumatra. Yeah, Sumatra, and that was where that big old earthquake occurred with the tidal wave that created all the problems. Here's the, uh, uh, er, the trench along which the uh, um, problems with the Japanese uh, reactor occurred. Notice over here in where the Arabian plate meets the African plate, look how many earthquakes and volcanoes and reactions occur. What's, look at that region. What is that region? That's the Holy Land, that's the place we have. And this area that goes along the, um, the east side of Africa from here to here, this is called the Great Rift Valley, or used to be called that, that's not, no longer popular. Um, but it goes from Mozambique right around here, this is Madagascar here, this is Mozambique, up the side of eastern side of Africa, then through the Red Sea, and then right along the Jordan Valley to end up here in eastern Turkey. Notice all the rift zones and the fault zones that occur right around that area as well. Now, in addition to that, this particular plate, the Arabian plate, is caught in between about three other plates. So it's getting twisted and turned as it goes along. As it slides past, it gets twisted, and, and it creates all sorts of difficulty. Yeah, here's, here's some satellite images of uh, the Holy Lands. Okay, and you can see, more specifically, this is the Great Rift Valley coming up here. There's the Red Sea. There's the uh, Jordan uh, River Valley and the Dead Sea Zone. Here's a little closer view. And you can actually see the rift, the great tear in the earth, where those two great plates are sliding past one another. There's another set. These are actual satellite images, so you can get an idea. This is not just something made up. All right, here's all the uh, confluence of, of fault zones. This is the one I want you to pay attention to, the, the Arabian plate. It is the one that's getting twisted and turned. Here's the African plate. Here's the Indian plate. Here you've got the Eura uh, Eurasian plate here, and this one is caught in between. But instead of sliding past or sliding under, this one is getting rotated around rotated over, over and over again. And as it rotates, it slides past that. It creates all sorts of uh, earthquakes and fault lines as well. There's a close-up view. 
By the way, you've heard about all the um, new, the problem with the nuclear reactors and things in Iran. One of the most hot, the greatest uh, hot spots for earthquake and seismic activity is right along Iran. So if you put a nuclear reactor in that place and an earthquake should happen to rip it apart like it did in Japan recently, they're not as well advanced to handle such activities. That could be disastrous if they get their handful of nuclear material. Here's some more faults in the new, this is a close up view, shows you, oops, wrong one, back up, back up. Okay, uh, this shows you again, the, the Dead Sea, and this is the eastern, the air, the eastern area, the uh, Mediterranean is called the Levant, Levant uh, Basin, and it refers to the entire area here. This is the Dead, Seas, Dead Sea Fault Zone, as it's called. Okay, all right. All of these little dots, each one of them is an earthquake that's occurred within a very, within about two weeks time period. Or actually, this is for the seismology of Israel from 1900 to 2008. So within just about a 10 year period, look at all of the, all of the volcanic or seismic activity that's occurred. And you should see, as I said, the map that I was talking about, that, that live active map, it's amazing. It's it, it just, any rational mind person would be scared. <laughs> okay, now let's go to the earthquakes in biblical history. I make no claim, I'm going to utter a disclaimer about the dates, the reason for it, I cannot find places to make the dates agree. Some of them I can get pretty close to, but um, we're, I'm not 100% on the dates, so I make a disclaimer at the beginning on this one. But notice that we've got, here's some of the major events. Uh, the planet-wide earthquake that occurred with Noah's flood when the fountains of the, de the deep were unleashed and broken up. By the way, the word broken up, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Broken up actually means something. We'll talk about it. There's the, the um, occurrence at Sodom, Mount Sinai. Uh, the, uh, in the wilderness of Sinai was Korah's rebellion, a very interesting case. Uh, Jericho, of course. Then we've got the Philistine camp near uh, Geba. Uh, when Elijah went to Mount Horeb, uh, with another quite there in, and the um, during the king, reign of King Uzziah, under Amos, when Amos was a prophet, there was an 8.2 magnitude earthquake. That is the largest in recorded history in that region. It was huge. It devastated the entire area. Um, and then in the interim, there's an interim period here between the Testaments uh, in which the Qumran village was hit by an earthquake. And that's the people who gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I guess everyone recognizes what happens in 31 AD. Okay, we had another mag a couple of earthquakes there. We'll talk about those in a moment. And then another one in about 33 when Paul and Cyrus, Silas are released from prison. Again, my dates are not, I do not make sure of the dates because I could not get all my sources to agree and became very confusing. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna walk through several of these slides here with you to show you what kind of effect or what these earthquakes were in history in the biblical history at least. About a dozen of the more well-known earthquakes in biblical history, but there were really, really many, many, many more than that. Um, technically speaking, we should really start with the third day of creation, shouldn't we? Third day of creation when the, um, the, found, uh, the earth, the, the land separated from the sea at the beginning.
three days. And uh, it says, the continents were uplifted, the ocean floor was depressed during a great faulting period in which the foundations of the earth were established. We are told that the angels saw and praised the omnipotent God for his earth-shaking process as this earth-shaking process occurred. Uh, Noah's flood. So here's Noah's flood. Um, Noah's flood was one of the primary physical causes uh, was... God's great judgment on Noah's flood was the splitting open of the foundations, the fountains of the great deep. Enormous earth upheavals on the seafloor occurred since the floor um, were open. Notice this note, note here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this for you. This is Genesis 7, 11. It gives you the time frame for the flood. How many of you realize that the flood lasted a whole year? Did you realize that? Yeah, Noah went into the ark in his 600, when he was 600 years old in the second month, and he came out of the ark when he was 601 years old, again, in about the second month here as well. So that gives you the time frame of the flood. My note says, the year-long global flood in the days of Noah was the greatest sedimentary and tectonic event in the history of our planet since creation. One of the physical causes was that the uh, fountains of the great deep, all of which were broken up on a single day. This word, broken up, is the Hebrew bakwa, which means to split or to cleave and suggests a faulting process. The faulting process. That a normal heat upheaval probably unleashed that year-long flood. Okay. Uh, next one. Uh, what's my theme? A whole lot of shaking going on. Well, in the next case we had, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have the other Jerry Lee Lewis song, Great Balls of Fire, come down, right? Okay. Jehovah rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah. A brimstone and fire from uh, Jehovah out of the heavens. He overthrew those cities all and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that grew upon the ground. Now, um, it was probably volcanic, so technically speaking it wasn't um, a, an earthquake, but usually volcanic activity and earthquakes go together, and he rained down sulfurous great balls of fire on these people. It was located on the southeast side of the Dead Sea. Now, uh, a little bit later, I don't have this slide up here. I'll just talk about it, though. Crossing the Red Sea. When they crossed the Red Sea and the water split open, the Israel passed through, um, there's some speculation that that could have been caused by an earthquake, particularly the um, destruction of Crete, I believe, or Thea at, at that time. Slide 19. Okay. Next one is Moses on Sinai. Before God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments, there was a great shaking of the mountain. No doubt the earth uh, quake prepared both Moses and Israel for the important truths that he was about to communicate. Okay, here's the, the actual um, language from Exodus 19. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood on the lower part of the mountain and Mount Sinai was smoking, all of it, because Jehovah came down upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a great furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. That's Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb in the background, you see. Here's one that I didn't know about, but I found fascinating uh, when we got to it. Korah's uh, Rebellion in the Wilderness. How many of you know about Korah's Rebellion? 
about Korah's rebellion? Okay. Um, here's a fascinating illustration of how God used an earthquake to actually destroy a rebellious faction of Israel in the wilderness and to establish Moses as the divinely selected leader. Korah and all his men were killed and all of their possessions taken as the land on which they were camped. It actually split apart right underneath their feet. It actually split apart under their feet. And all of their possessions and everything else that they had fell into it. The 250 men were destroyed by God because they rebelled against him. Here's the actual wording of it. Oops, wrong one. Back up. Uh, Moses said, By this you shall know that Jehovah has sent me to do all these works, and that not from my own heart. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they visited according to the examination of all men, Jehovah has not sent me. But if Jehovah makes a thing new, and the earth opens her mouth and swallows them up, and, they, and with them all that they have, and they go down alive into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked Jehovah. And it happened as he made an end of speaking these words. Just as he finished speaking the words, the ground underneath them split apart. The earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them and their household and the men that were with Korah and all their goods. And they all, had, and they all went down into Sheol and the earth closed upon them. So it opened up, swallowed them, and then closed back up together. Really a fascinating incident that happened. Um, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel around them fled there at their cry, wouldn't you? Uh, and lest they, the earth swallowed them up as well. And there came up a fire from Jehovah and burned up the uh, 250 men who offered the incense at the same time. Okay, got the idea? What's happening? All of these earthquakes are tools in the hands of God. Um, let's see, next. The next one, this is the fall of Jericho. Jericho was actually built on a fault. Did you know that? It was actually built right on smack dab on top of a fault line. And... Uh, um, I'm all running out of time. Um, the, what, one of the things that could happen, this one, I'm, I'm, I'm just speculating right here. Uh, Bible readers, especially those who are familiar with the archaeological excavation at Jericho, have supposed that an earthquake toppled the walls of the city. However, in the account, you really don't find the, the reference, no explicit reference to an earthquake. There's no doubt that the fall of the city the great walls could have caused the earth to shake. Further, the rhythmic marching of the children of Israel around the city for seven days and the trumpet blast on the seventh day could easily have induced a sympathetic vibration in the local strata that could have produced an earthquake and toppled the wall due to the liquefaction of the substrata. In any event, God delivered the city by whatever means into Israel's hand. Brother, the crossing of the Jordan River, just about a week or so before that, was probably preceded by an earthquake landslide further upstream that blocked the headwaters of the Jordan long enough for the priests to walk across the, to go across the Jordan River carrying the ark and go across dry shod. Okay. Uh, this is the actual, if you want to read the account, I'm Running short of time, I'm trying to rush through some of this. Uh, the account is in Joshua 6, verses 2 to 7. Uh, actually, all the way goes to uh, 20. Joshua 6, verses 2 to 20. That's too long a passage to read, but you can read uh, on your own and see what the events occur. The interesting thing was that not that the walls fell, but that the northern side of the wall, where Rahab's house was, did not fall. That's the real miracle that occurred in that particular one. 
Okay, there was another one that was a Philistine camp near Geba. Uh, Israel had conquered the Philistines near Geba uh, after an earthquake in their camp. Uh, remember the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer? They were separated from the army and would otherwise have been killed by the Philistine had it not been for the earthquake. Uh, another example, Elijah on Mount Horeb. And, uh, God spoke to Elijah at Mount Horeb as he did so to Moses uh, and it, after an occurrence of an earthquake. It's almost as if he gets your attention by bringing, rattling the ground and giving an earthquake and then it speaks to you. Um, Elijah, who had been hiding in a cave, realized the Lord does not need to use a mighty earthquake, not in the mighty wind. Not in, the, not in the earthquake, not in the mighty wind, not in the fire, but in the still, still small voice was where he actually heard himself. Uh, go to 1 Kings 19.11, and he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before Jehovah. Behold, Jehovah passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before Jehovah. Sounds like a tornado to me, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, but Jehovah was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But Jehovah was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. That makes sense, because after the earth breaks open, there's often volcanic reaction, and a fire comes out. Um, but Jehovah was not in the fire. And after the fire was a still, small voice. And that's where he found God. Okay. Next one. Uh, this is the great earthquake during Uzziah's reign. This is the one that was the 8.2 that had an epicenter in Lebanon. And um, this was capable, capable of devastating the entire region. Uh, and it was the largest documented earthquake in the last 4,000 years. Uh, this is the Qumran uh, earthquake that is said it occurred in 31 uh, BC. Obviously, 31 BC is between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, so there's no scriptural documentation for it. But Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews, um, mentions it and uh, says that it was the result of um, it broke it broke up the substructure, broke up the uh, aquifer, and the wells dried up. And as a result of that, the Levites, who were their copyists, trying to uh, stored the scrolls in the jars and, and for safekeeping. As a result, we had the Dead Sea Scrolls today and authentication of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah as a result of that. Okay. Um, too much. Too much. Uh, okay, let's go to the uh, next one. This is a big one. 3 o'clock p.m. on Passover. Jesus says, it is finished. And immediately following, there was a great earthquake. Okay, you remember that one? Okay. Uh, uh, immediately, uh, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn. Great earthquake occurred. Rocks were broken. Many dead saints were resurrected from the tomb. The earthquakes uh, upon the death of Christ called attention to the great salvation that had been happened that day. The barrier between God and man was not removed by the earthquake tearing the temple's veil, but his son being offered as the Lamb of God. The centurion and his soldiers who were given the task of crucifying uh, Jesus saw the sky grow dark at noon, followed by the earthquake, at, just as Christ died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they recognized that Jesus was indeed the Son of Man. Now, I want you to think about what an earthquake does. Do you remember what happened when you did it? When the earth shook, the walls went this way, and they have a tendency to remain stable at the base, but the tops pull apart. 
So when the pillars on the temple pull apart, the veil split from the top down, because probably because of the earthquake again. Okay. And this is a documentation on it, Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. And crying aloud with a loud voice, Jesus released his spirit. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks sheared, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep arose. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. But the centurion and those guarding Jesus, seeing the earthquake and the things that took place, they feared greatly and said, Truly, this must be the Son of God. Now, 72 hours later, what else happened? Another great earthquake. Another great earthquake. But it was no human agency that rolled away the stone blocking the opening of our Lord's tomb. It was the earthquake in the presence of the angels. Now, I want you to realize this. The earthquake did not roll away the stone to let Jesus out. The earthquake rolled away the stone to let people see that the tomb was empty. Big difference. God could walk through the walls. He did that in, previous, in the subsequent days after it. So that's not the issue. The, to- the rock was rolled away so that people could see that the tomb was empty afterwards. Um, Matthew 28, 2, a great earthquake occurred for coming down from heaven and coming up. An angel of the Lord rolled back the stone from the door that was sitting on it. Okay? In the Jerusalem prayer meeting, day after Pentecost, they were afraid that there, there were some persecution there were threats and persecution from the Jewish leaders so they all went inside to pray and as soon as they finished praying uh, they were effectively asking God for a sign and as soon as they finished praying boom an earthquake occurred okay so uh, let's see prison at Philippi uh, we've got uh, Paul and Silas of course in, in the prison at Philippi and uh, this is the documentation. It's Acts 16, 23 to 29, if you want the sources on that. Uh, the thing you want to realize is that if something is capable of breaking the shackles that are binding the prisoners' hands to the walls, it would also be capable of bringing down the roof. The miracle was that it didn't. Okay. Earthquakes in the future. I'm trying to... I got... All right. Um, Joel... Uh, look at verse 10 in particular. The earth shall tremble before them, and the heavens shall shake. The moon and the, uh, and the sun and the moon shall grow dark, and the stars shall gather their light. Okay, that's uh, Joel. This is all out of Joel 2. Another passage, Isaiah 2. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to find the one that I want to go to. Okay. Uh, and this is uh, Isaiah 2, verses 19 through 21. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks, into the caves of the, for fear of Jehovah and for the glory of his majesty. And when he arises to shake the earth terribly, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and gold and, uh, for, that they have made to worship and the, to the moles and to the bats to go in the clefts of the rocks, into the tops of the ragged rocks, for fear of Jehovah and for the glory of his majesty. When he arises to shake the earth terribly. Um, Isaiah 29, 6 says, You shall be visited by Jehovah uh, of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with storm and whirlwind, and with flame and devouring fire. Fire. Let's see, I'm one here with, here's the one. Uh, Isaiah 13, 13. That's going to be easy to remember. So I will shake the heavens and the earth shall move out of its place. 
Did you know that the recent earthquakes have been strong enough to knock the Earth off its axis and partly out of its orbit? And the great earthquake that's predicted to be, occur in uh, Revelation is, is pre presumed to do exactly that. Um, more, uh, let's see, this is an interesting passage. You remember in Zechariah 14, uh, verses 3 to 5, look, in that day his feet shall, whoops, back up. His feet shall stand on the, de on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem in the east, and the Mount of Olives shall divide from its middle, from the east to the west, and a great, very great valley. Half of it shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And you shall flee into the valley of my mountains. Did you realize there is a fault line running right smack dab through the middle of the um, Mount of Olives. It's the east-west fault line. Here's the picture of it. There's the temple. Here's the Mount of Olives. Whoops. Here's the Mount of Olives on the left. Here's the temple. Here's the fault line that runs right through the center of the Mount of Olives. And it will split apart. It'll be a transverse fault sliding partly to the north and partly to the south, making a very great valley in the process. Okay, in the book of Revelation, we see a bunch of earthquakes mentioned here as precursors, as timelines, as signposts to let you know when one trumpet has blown and another is about to be blown. Okay, Revelation 6, 12, Revelation 8, 5, Revelation 11, 13, Revelation 11, 19, all of these great thunders and earthquakes and great hail, they were slain in the earthquake, Thunders and lightning, and an earthquake occurred. It seems like an earthquake is the punctuation mark that he puts on the anything when he wants to get your attention. Here's what I want to get to, the last thing. Seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and a great voice came out of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. The thunder, look at this one that I've got larger. The voices and the thunders and the lightning occurred, and there was a great earthquake such as what was not since the beginning of man on earth, so mighty was the great earthquake. If it was greater than any since men of the earth, that includes Noah. That includes Noah. So this is greater than the 8.2, greater than the earthquake that released the flood. This is an earthquake that will be so large, it should knock the earth off its axis. Here's my suspicion. This is speculation. If I had a cowbell up here, I'd ring it. You got a cowbell, Brian? Okay. Uh, this is the pre-earthquake zone. Look at where most of the earthquakes occur. Right along the area. What's right here? That's Iran. That's where the nuclear reactors may occur. Look at this area. This is Somalia and uh, Sumatra, I'm sorry. And then this is the Japanese. This is the ring of fire that goes around it. This is your pre-earthquake zone. They match up nicely with the tectonic plates and the fault lines. What I suspect is going to be the great earthquake of Revelation is not a single great earthquake, but it's going to be an earthquake cascade that starts at one location and that earthquake triggers another and triggers another and triggers another all the way around. And the most vulnerable spot is right there. That's the most vulnerable spot. Because right where the Philippine plate meets the Austro-Indian plate meets the Pacific plate, right at that point, if the earthquake occurs here, that one earthquake, if it's big enough, could trigger a cascade of earthquakes all the way around 
the Pacific Rim and go in the opposite direction all the way across the Middle East right into Canaan. That's frightening, folks, and it's coming. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. 